0: Hey church family, Ross Lester here. As people of faith, we know that throughout history, the kingdom of God has been advancing and that the gates of hell have been receding against the advance of that kingdom. There are times when you can feel it, sense it, see it, and experience it. Its progress is tangible. And as people of faith, we know that that kingdom has real opposition which seeks to resist its advance and seeks, in fact, to push it back through demonic opposition and through the ploys of principalities and powers of this present age. There are indeed seasons when you become painfully aware of this pushback, and this week has been one of those. It has been a difficult week, a painful week. The sermon that you will hear today is about hope, and it was recorded early in the week before we had experienced a great deal of the sadness and anguish that we are feeling today. As such, the sermon and the flow of the service may feel naive or maybe even blind to some of that pain. And I wanted to let you know that our eyes are open to the pain that this past week has again revealed and exposed. We are painfully aware of the unjust killing of Ahmad Arbery and the anguish and fear that the revelation of that injustice has brought for so many of us. We are aware, as leaders, of the deep wounds that Ahmad's murder exposes, wounds that we have ignored for far too long, wounds that need healing and mercy and tenderness and justice so that they are able at last to heal. We long to be a people of healing whatever that may mean, in the days and weeks and years ahead. May God make us so. We mourn with Ahmad's mother today. On this Mother's Day, we want to sit with her in grief and loss and lament. We are also painfully aware of the ongoing effects of sickness in this world, as even this week our brother, pastor and friend, Sa, has continued to struggle with health complications seemingly due to the stroke that he suffered in January. Please pray for him. We want and need him back on his feet and back teaching us so faithfully from the pulpit. We are also painfully aware of the ongoing curse of death and loss as we mourn the passing of Darren Patrick, who was known and loved by many in this church. We pray and plead for the spirit to be with his family and his friends right now. We are still painfully aware of the ongoing effects of this pandemic on many of your lives and livelihoods. And we know and recognize that there is a lack of clarity of a way out of it or through it or around it. We don't know and we recognize that we don't know. And so friends, I wanted you to know that the sermon wasn't blind to that but doesn't speak directly to many of the things that have since been revealed. This is the tension of having to pre-record some of this stuff in this season. But we believe that a sovereign God oversees our best efforts and graciously covers even our worst. I hope and pray that the sermon might be used to remind you that the God of all hope still stands available to you to grant you hope that abounds. Friends, we are not home yet, but this kingdom keeps going. Let's be the people who keep pressing, keep hoping, keep listening, keep learning, keep longing for that blessed day, and keep living out the reality of its appearing in the here and now. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And so now, sing to your God. Exercise your faith in this time by lifting your voice. It won't be long now, friends. Soon, soon. Well, howdy, Austin Stone. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there who are toiling away, often unrewarded or acknowledged and working at such a significant labor. We see you, your efforts are not in vain. I pray that God would bless you in your work today. We are in our last week of our special Times Like These series. Here is what we have said so far. We have said that in times like these, the people of God, amongst other things, ought to be a people of faith in times of doubt and confusion, faithfulness in times of pressure and temptation, and people of peace in times of potential anxiety. Today, we want to finish by examining how we are called to be a people of hope in times like these, as we emerge into the light of a very uncertain new day. You can feel it everywhere, right? People are grasping for something or someone to hope in. My fundamental premise today is that the people of God have a unique capability and responsibility to be people of real, true, and lasting hope. So let me read the text that will shape our time today and then pray that God would help us. Here's what Romans 15:13 says. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let let me pray for us. Father, I I just wanna pause and pray that you would help me to preach this text faithfully and that you would help us to be good listeners to the word today, that we would steward this moment. We wouldn't just rush in and rush out, but that your word would have its full effect upon us. Wherever we are listening to this right now, I pray Holy Spirit that you would take the truths of your word and that you would help us to be a people who understand it and obey it, believe it and apply it. Make us a people of lasting and profound and impactful hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So what is hope? It is such an often expressed and seldomly defined idea. We know that it is powerful. Its existence or absence essentially form the basis of every great story ever told. When all hope is lost, one unlikely hero hangs on to a thread of hope and that changes the world, right? It is the central theme of one of the greatest movies ever made, a movie called The Shawshank Redemption, which was based on a Stephen King short story called Rita Hayworth and The Shawshank Redemption. It tells the story of a man called Andy Dufresne, who is wrongly convicted for the murder of his wife and lands up in a maximum security prison where he befriends a man called Red. And their different ideas of hope form the basis of the entire story. Red says to Andy, when Andy is longing for a hopeful outcome uh, and his release from prison, Red says, hope is the most dangerous of things. And Andy insists, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things and good things never die. So so we know hope is powerful, but what exactly is it? Well, Well, a combination of dictionary definitions suggests that Hope is an expectation of a positive future outcome which is held with a reasonable confidence. It is a present holding to a future reality that cannot yet be fully seen. It is an outworking then of faith which is believing something that can't be seen but hope is largely future oriented. Thomas Aquinas differentiated faith from hope in this way. He said, faith has to do with things that are not seen and hope with things that are not yet at hand. See friends, hope, is refusing to believe that suffering is random or permanent or meaningless. It is a stubborn resistance against futility and fatalism, a digging in of our heels against the flow that suggests that injustice is perpetually inevitable. It is furiously holding on by faith to a yet to be seen positive outworking in the future. Now, I must confess, that this is something of a weakness in my life. In my flesh, when left to my own mode of thinking, I tend to think of the worst possible outcome to every and any scenario. I know, I am a bag of laughs to hang out with. Uh, Pray for my wife. Uh, Seriously, please pray for Sue Lester. Uh, It is something that I have grown to dislike about myself, Um, but I'm not hopeful that it will change anytime soon. See what I did there? I can, when left to my own thoughts, be something of an eeyore in a world that seems to be full of Tiggers. I am a cautious and weary Obi-Wan Kenobi surrounded by upbeat and impulsive young Anakins, if you like, and look what happened there with young Anakin Skywalker. But I know that hope is actually a Christian virtue and indeed expectation. Hopeful lives ought to be something that Christians strive towards. It isn't actually an optional personality trait for the believer. C.S. Lewis said simply that hope is one of the theological virtues. The problem is that I think we confuse genuine Christian hope, which is a posture of assurance in God's glorious working in and through all things, with a pretty empty optimism, which isn't bad, but is just kind of as neutral as pessimism, because it isn't rooted in anything of real substance. Both of them, optimism and pessimism, get washed away in the flow of circumstances of our lives because things seldom flow the way or with the intensity that we planned, right? I have seen this optimism as a personality trait sold as real hope, even in faith circles. And it leaves me often feeling hollow and left out of those faith circles as if I am lacking something. As N.T. Wright said, he said, what we have at the moment isn't as the old liturgies used to say, the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of the dead, but a vague and fuzzy optimism that somehow things may work out in the end, end of quote. I have found that there are few things as unhelpful in times of crisis as extremely optimistic or extremely pessimistic friends. Both of their words end up empty when you really need them the most to be rooted in something meaningful. We see this even in the philosophical disagreement about the best path forward out of this pandemic. Either it's the end of the world as we know it, and in spite of the incredibly catchy determination that REM made, we refuse to feel fine, or we just believe that it's all going to be fine with no evidence or data, no big deal, all fine, onward we go. In the end though, neither of those ring true to our experience of the world, which is significantly more complex than all of that. It is possible, and indeed probably desirable, to wade into the full mix of the world's complexities, its brokenness, sadness, sickness, fear, injustice, corruption, and concern, as well as, It's beauty, creativity, liberty, health, energy and opportunity. This is the honesty and complexity that true Christian hope requires. Not a denying of reality or a looking away from the harshness of lives that are lived east of Eden, but a looking through and past and above and beyond those things to a horizon that others Cannot yet see, with the hope of a new dawn that others do not yet await, with the promise of restoration and redemption that only the message of Christianity offers the world. I have spoken before of this posture, this tension of the believer, as something that we call hopeful realism. Christians ought to be more realistic in our expectations of the world and its inhabitants than anyone else. Why? We have the doctrine of sin and the curse, and we understand its universal and personal effects. We know the weight of that better than anyone as we are people of the cross, people of necessary death and suffering due to our own inability to do the right thing. And we ought to be the most hopeful of all people. Why? We are people who believe in rebirth and resurrection. We don't just believe in a God of second chances, we believe in a God who makes dead things alive and who ultimately restores everything to the way it ought to be, and who is currently doing that work right now. You see, we are people of the cross to be sure, and people of the empty tomb. We are hopeful realists, realistically hopeful. And this is what the world needs. It doesn't need empty-headed cheer squads. It has enough of those. It longs for people of deep-seated, gritty, relentless hope. Hope that is rooted in something real and not just tethered. To wishful thinking. Hope that comes from something that isn't temporary or changeable. Hope that anchors in something beyond the circumstances of our everyday lives. Hope that endures through a power beyond the fatiguing flippancies of our wills. And a hope that manifests from us supernaturally in the world as evidence of an empty tomb and a soon returning king. And so with that in mind, we look to Romans fifteen thirteen. 13. It is actually a benediction, and in it we see a picture of Christian hope that is from, in, through, and towards something bigger than ourselves. And so let's look at it again briefly together. Paul says, he prays, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And so firstly, from there we ask the question, where is real hope from? And the answer is, hope is from the God of hope. Paul says, may the God of hope. This is such a remarkable thing for Paul to call God. If hope is an, expectation of a positive outcome based on a reasonable confidence, then nothing and no one in the universe is more hopeful than God. Have you thought about that? I hadn't all that much and it helped me this week because as we know, what we think about when we think about God determines so much of our life of faith. And when I think of God himself as being full of hope, it lifts my flailing hopes as a result. God is the most hopeful realist out there. He knows the obstacles of human rebellion. He knows the impact of the curse better than anyone, but he also knows how he has been working over millennia to bring good out of bad, resurrection out of death, redemption out of rebellion, and he knows better than anyone how it all ends and plays out. He can actually see the outcome and knows how he gets his way and how good his way is. And so friends, God is hopeful. Our God is the God of hope. And so when we walk in hope, we image him to the world in a powerful way. We aren't just trying to be optimists or a particular Enneagram type or even trying to just be charismatic. Rather, we are striving to be image bearers and part of the image we bear is an image of hope. Friends, some of us need to lift our eyes a little bit because our current countenance and posture doesn't actually reflect a God of hope. I received that as a loving rebuke this week. Maybe you need to as well. I know lots of things are broken in the world, I know. No one knows that better than God though, and He is still a God of hope. Okay, so that's where hope is from, it is from God. Second, what is real hope found in? And the answer to that is, it's not just from God, it's found in God. Look again at the verse of what Paul says. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Look in believing. And so God gives us joy and peace when? When we believe, believe in what? In who He is. And where do we discover who He is? In the scriptures. You see, this text here, friends, is part of the big argument that Paul is making for unity between Jew and Gentile across multiple chapters. And he says in his first benediction earlier in this chapter, in Romans 15, verse four, he says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Paul says, you want hope? You want encouragement? Well, then look at who God is as revealed to us in the scriptures, you don't have to wonder. So let's do that quickly and let's see how throughout scripture, just walk with me, just through a narrative, God has revealed some of his attributes and works as foundations for hope, Let's start where you always start looking for hope in, in Lamentations, right? It's the most logical place. But, but, but this text really spoke to me this week in Lamentations 3, 21. Um, it says this, it says, this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him." Oh my goodness, friends. Doesn't that give you hope today? His love is steadfast and and it never ceases. His mercies, well, he has a whole new fresh batch of them available to us every single day. I needed this text so badly this week. I ran out of emotional steam on Tuesday. I don't know why, but it was like I stepped back into an old version of myself, a less sanctified self. You ever experienced that? I was back in old temptations and patterns and modes of thought and selfish behaviors just all day while I was prepping this message, ironically, and it made me feel hopeless. Then the scriptures reminded me, hey Ross, You get a new morning with a full new batch of mercies waiting for you because the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Your hope isn't in you. Put your hope in that kind of merciful and loving God. Lamentations doesn't just say that we get new mercies. It also says we get a reward and an inheritance. He is our portion, it says. We get him as our inheritance for our lives. Oh, goodness me. Not even I can be pessimistic when I remember that. You see it? You get God and he is merciful and wonderful. And so right belief leads to hope. That's not all, friends. Not only does God love us like that, uh, we're told that he's in control and he works all things for his glorious purposes, all things. Look with me uh, quickly at Romans five, where Paul waxes lyrical about how this God of hope makes a way to save and justify sinners like you and me. Why not you turn with me to, to Romans five and I'm gonna read just the first two verses to start. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have Peace with God, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What a strange and wonderful phrase. Why would Paul say we rejoice in hope of the glory of God? Well, because we have hope in the fact that God gets what God wants, and God wants to save sinners like you and me. Isn't that incredible? He works all things to the purposes ultimately of His glorious name, and that brings us great hope because we know that even this, even now, even us, He can and will get His way and turn it for His glory in the end, even our lives. Friends, when I am deeply despondent about my own sin and rebellion, and I wallow for a bit in self-pity, wondering why God would save me, you know one of the thoughts that keeps me? I rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, because I know that it will bring Him great glory to save, redeem, and keep a wretch like me. Only He could do that. And he won't throw me back because he will get glory through the redemption of this rebellious soul. God gets glory out of saving sinners. This brings me hope because I am a sinner who needs saving. And Paul doesn't stop there. He says that even in the most difficult things in our life, um, uh, those don't have to snuff out our hope, but may actually be ammunition for more hope. Uh, He he says, look at Romans 5 again, just a little lower down, verse 3. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Oh, friends, our hope isn't just based on things going well or getting better. No, our hope is fueled by the fact that even when things don't go well or don't get better, God gets his way and shapes us with endurance and character and increasing hope, which isn't futile because as it grows, God's love is poured out into our hearts through the precious Holy Spirit. Oh, gosh. I'm feeling. Pretty darn hopeful, I don't know about you, but that's still not all, I'm like a telemarketer bringing you more and more from the scriptures. We have even greater reason for hope in the nearness and kindness of our sweet King Jesus. Uh, Look at what the writer of the Hebrews says in Hebrews 6 as he explains that that we have in Jesus a great high priest who has come near to us and now represents us. Uh, Look at Hebrews 6, 19, he says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope, or what is it? This, This hope that's an anchor, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I love that image. It says hope, hope can be like an anchor, something that keeps you from drifting away from safe ports, something that keeps you steady and secure. What's it anchored in? Well, that hope comes from remembering that Jesus is our high priest which means, friends, that he represents us before God the Father and offers and has offered once and for all the sacrifices needed for us to be presented to God as holy. That gives us hope, it's an anchor. I have a priest in my friend Jesus who is able to represent me because he is like me and sympathetic to my weaknesses, but who is able to advocate for me because he is not like me and never gave in to those very weaknesses and temptations. I have a priest in King Jesus, therefore I have hope. That's something I can just hook as an anchor into the bottom of the sea of my life. But that's not all. Not only do we find hope in God's relentless love and unstoppable glory and imminent nearness through Jesus, but also the scriptures remind us that if nothing else will give us hope in this world, remember that a day is coming when God will make it all right. Uh, Look at Romans eight, which many of you know, but but in Romans eight, there's such incredible promises of of God's return and God's uh, progressive making, setting the world, to rights and and look at what Romans 8.22 says, it says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, we know that the world's not as it should be. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we're not as we should be. We have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and daughters the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes what he sees. In other words, there's a delay, it's a future oriented thing. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. What's the hope that we were saved in? That our bodies would be redeemed along with all of creation. We can't see it yet but we wait for it, we hope for it. We groan and cry out and lament that it isn't here yet, but we hope and we wait with patience and with endurance. Our friends, when we go back to remembering who God is as revealed to us in the scriptures, then we start to experience that hope and joy and peace through believing the right things, you see it? So hope is from God, real hope is rightly placed by belief in God, but what keeps us going? What is hope powered by? How do we keep hanging on to it in our lives that are full of tumultuous things? Here's the great news. It isn't just from God and in God. This verse tells us hope is empowered by God. Look at it again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Our friends, the precious Holy Spirit who dwells inside you if you are a Christian and who is available to you in powerful measure if you will allow him to lead you, that wonderful Holy Spirit's power helps you to keep hope when you cannot keep it yourself. When was the last time you asked God to gift you a fuller measure of the powerful Holy Spirit? When was the last time you asked Him to make you more hopeful by that same Spirit? I had to get there on Tuesday. I was just like, Spirit, I need your help. When I can feel myself slipping towards despondency, but sadly, still often, I'm learning to ask the Spirit to help me to lift my eyes, to remind me of truth, to fill me with power, not just powerful gifts of the Spirit, but also powerful fruits and marks and signs of His presence. One of the clearest evidences of someone being filled with the Spirit ought to be that they are bound in hope. And that's the answer to the last question, friends. What effect does this hope have on us and from us. It's from God, it's in God, it's by God's power helping it to endure. And then lastly, it is reflective of God to the world. Paul says that the outcome of his prayer would be that we would abound in hope. That word abound is quite difficult to translate. Some translations say overflow in hope. Others say radiate with hope. The idea is that there is too much for someone to be able to contain, so much hope that it flows from them and it is obvious in them, they are literally drenched in hope and it's clear for everyone to see. Uh, My friend, uh, Barbara, who has been through so much trial with sickness, especially over the last three years, told me this week that this is her theme verse for this season of trial in her life, this is her, her prayer, that a hope wouldn't be in circumstances, that in the midst of trial and suffering, she would be drenched in hope, covered in it, radiating it for everyone else to see. And I see by God's grace, him answering that prayer in her and in others. Friends, is that currently coming from you? Are you marked by hope? What are you overflowing with? Cynicism, bravado, hubris, what do you radiate? Dear friends, people are looking, they're clambering, they're searching and they're looking for hope. I can tell you they are exhausted by obtuse optimism and they are exasperated by pitiful pessimism. They need people who radiate hope. People of the cross, people of the empty tomb, people who are waiting for the trumpet to sound and all to be made right, people who are living in the reality of that victory in the here and now, people of hope. Friends, do you need hope? i can tell you this, true hope, real hope, ultimately is from God. It's the only place you're gonna get it. He's the God of hope. It is in God. It's the only place you're gonna secure it and anchor it because it's in Him and truths of Him alone that you're gonna be able to hold it down. It is by God's power. It's the only way you're gonna be able to endure in the storms of life It's the only thing that's gonna keep you going. And it is reflected back to Him powerfully as we radiate the hope of God back to what can sometimes be a really hopeless world. Friends, the world needs us to live this way. Will you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through believing, radiate the hope of God because He is the God of hope? Let's be His people. Father God, thank you so much that you are the God of hope that you are the most hopeful realist out there. You know the reality of all the things we can't even see. You know the depravity of man. You know the difficulty of the curse on the world. You know the injustice that it results in. You see it all. You don't gloss over any of it with just optimism or wishful thinking. You see it and you send your son into the midst of that reality, into the midst of that grit, into the midst of that rebellion, into the midst of that suffering. And He suffers under it, under the reality of it, He bears its weight even to death on a cross. Oh, but thank you, Lord, that on the third day, there was an empty tomb and hope was burst for the world in a powerful way so that we can remember that the story's not finished and that that son who walked out of that grave and ascended to heaven will return and that he's, he's gonna be called faithful and true and we watch the horizon for his appearing on that great white horse and we cannot wait for that day. In the meanwhile, help us to be people of a stubborn hope where nothing can get us to relinquish it. Look, we don't wanna be empty optimists living in denial. We wanna be realistic, honest, humble people of hope. <laughs> Make it such it'll only be by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so Lord, now, even as people are listening, won't you encourage the downcast, Won't you breathe hope and fresh courage into them, not waving a magic wand, making all their situations instantly somehow seem less difficult, but breathing the hope of the Holy Spirit into them so that they can lift their eyes and that they can radiate that hope to those around them so that people can say, wait, 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 what is that? We need that. Make us a people of hope through your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.